0: Welcome to The Jockey Club, a podcast looking at the movie Let It Ride, one scene at a time. My name is Dan Delgado, and we're at historic Hylia Park, where one man is having the best day of his life. I'm having a good day. So come on in and hang out while we talk about this day and the greatest movie of all time, Let It Ride. Don't worry about that guy at the door. I've got you covered. You can even take my seat to The Jockey Club. Welcome back to the Jockey Club. My name is Dan Delgado, and we are up to episode 10, which means that we are doing the 10th scene of Let It Ride. And really, it's the 10th scene according to me. This is the scene right where Trotter returns to Marty's bar after his big win and gets a cold reception. With me to discuss this scene is film critic and historian Edward A. Havens III. and is also the host of the 80s movie podcast, a film history podcast that looks at all aspects of 80s films. Now, before we begin, here's a warning. It was much to my surprise that Ed is not a fan of Let It Ride. Not a fan at all. And he really explains how much he does not like this movie for pretty much the entire episode. So keep that in mind if you dare venture ahead. Now, if you're playing along at home, this is going to be from minute 2726 to 2911. So now, let's head on up to my usual table at the Jockey Club to discuss the 10th scene of Let It Ride. All right, so the, the first thing that I tend to ask people when, when we talk about this particular subject is, do you recall, do you know the first time that you sat and watched Let It Ride? I actually do. I was a theater manager
1: mm-hmm. in San Jose, California. I was 21 years old. It was my first theater as a manager, mm-hmm. uh, but we were a dollar house. I don't know if you oh, remember. Oh, absolutely. That. Oh my goodness,
0: so, I used to live in those places, so yes. Yeah.
1: So um, the first time I saw it mm-hmm. was when I went to pick up the print from another theater that had played it for a few weeks. And then I bring it back to my theater. I build it up. And then we are kind of required to watch the movies to make sure that they are <laughs> in good shape. Sure. Before we show them to the public, especially because we're running movies that have been playing for several weeks at another theater. And you don't know how well they took care of the print you the 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 second hand the second run theaters the dollar houses we were kind of required so there were on thursday nights my job would literally start at 11 p.m by driving to the various theaters to pick up prints and then i'd spend all night building prints and watching them uh sometimes not uh, leaving my theater till late or nine in the morning so uh yeah so i watched it in the middle of a night uh oh, wow. some some september in 1989 some september date in 1989 and uh I was kind of confused by the movie because oh, it yeah. seemed to it seemed to me mm-hmm. that it was more it should have been played as a dramatic a dramatic movie with comedic elements, but they were trying to play it, it seems as broad farce. So the entire tone mm-hmm. to me seemed off for the movie, that it was not made the way that it feels, it sh- the material feels it should have been made because it's not a broad comedy at all. If, if anything, it's more of a, a an existential drama about a guy who's going through a, a crisis, a midlife crisis in one day at the racetrack. He wants to do the right thing, but he's unable to do the right thing. Even when he knows he's supposed to stop, he keeps on going because that is the rush and the thrill of a junkie he is literally a racing junkie you just substitute horse racing for drugs or sex or whatever that we become addicted to and and for me that just the the entire tone of the movie always felt wrong and then watching it again this week kind of re put me back in that same place where i'm watching these things happen where the the director joe pitka who was mostly a television commercial director and a music video director Um, he's got talent. There's no doubt about it. He's got talent as a director, but his forte is in more short stories, 30 seconds long, four minutes long, and trying to sustain that into 90 minutes when you're used to doing things very quickly and very broadly. And you're now doing something that needs to be Mm -hmm. consistent over 90 minutes.
0: That's so interesting because one thing that I I constantly go through when I've been doing this is that I bring up the, as you put it, like he's a gambling addict and so what this movie does in a way it kind of celebrates his addiction in a sense right yes. like, like it, it kind of uh, it encourages it. it it you could watch this movie and say oh well this is really a, a movie that is an advertisement for reckless gambling and it's just full of other characters That's how they live their lives, that's what they do. But our main guy, our main protagonist, Jay Trotter, who at the beginning of the film has given it up and so he could go back to his wife, he could go back to his life. Instead, he's going to just risk everything, risk all of those things with this one day at the track. And it's one thing that always kind of sticks with me is like, hmm. Am I supposed to enjoy this movie? I, I now make no mistake. I do enjoy this movie. I just always feel like maybe uh, maybe feel a little guilty because that's my nature to feel guilty about everything. But I, sometimes I feel a little guilty when I'm I'm watching it, and so you're the first person to kind of sort of really bring forth that sort of point of view back to me as well, right? Well, yeah, because I. I don't think you're supposed to like Trotter,
1: and mm-hmm. that's a fatal problem with most broad comedies, is that the, the lead character needs to be relatable or at least likable to a certain degree in order for the comedy to work. Uh, if you're doing a more of a black comedy or a dark comedy, which this is not, that because of, you look at the cast and you have a lot of great comedic actors in there like Robbie Coltrane and Terry Garr and David Johansson. These, you know, they, they can do dramatic work, but they're primarily really known for the comedic work. So when you have a bunch of comedic actors in a comedy and your lead character, in this case Trotter, is not very likable Uh in the scene where in the, bar where he goes into the bar after he gets his first winnings you know he stuffed all the money in his shoe and yes they know that he's won before he comes in and he kind of treats his friends like crap because he's had a little bit of luck because he's that that long time loser who finally had a little bit of luck and that's understandable we all have been there in our lives in various times where we're down. Things are not going right for us no matter what we do. And then all of a sudden there's this one little bright spark that kind of changes our perception of our reality. And you would think that Trotter would understand his friends. They want You, you want to kind of celebrate his success, but he's such a jerk to them <laughs> that they literally just kind of kick him when he's up. Uh, the bartender talking about Trotter having to pull a fiver out of his ass to make a bet, you know, and it's like friends don't bring things up like that when you're trying to celebrate their victories. You only bring up stuff like that when you're someone's kicking you and you're kicking back. So I don't know that I'm supposed to like Trotter. And that's a fatal flaw for me for a comedy movie where I you need to have some entry point into this person where whether you feel sympathy for the person or you feel empathy or, hey, you know, I've been in situations like that. There needs to be some kind of entry. Rich, uh, Richard Dreyfus is such a great actor and he does as good of a job as he can with this material. But again, he's somebody who can go either way. He can either be a great comedic actor. He can be a great dramatic actor, as we saw in the Goodbye Girl, where he won his Oscar, where that character was was immensely unlikable. But there was still ways where you could get into that character and feel sympathy or empathy or something to make you care about that specific character in the Goodbye Girl. On And Trotter, I just he I want to like him. Uh huh. Because he's Richard Dreyfuss, and Richard Dreyfuss is a good actor. And I, yeah, when I think of Richard Dreyfuss, I think of Goodbye Girl. I think of Jaws. I think of American Graffiti. I think of the good roles that he's done. So he's already got an instant goodwill going into the movie. But then the guy is such a cretin in any very way possible, where even at the start, when he's in the restaurant with his wife and they get in an argument about fortune cookies where he can't yes. let it go. He needs to be right about this instead of just being, okay, your wife has one point of view. You have a different point of view. You don't see to eye to eye, just let it go. I mean, I've been married for 20 years. I've learned after 20 years that there's some to some arguments that aren't worth it. And an argument about fortune cookies in the middle of a restaurant with all these other people around is not worth it. So that, immediately puts you into the frame of mind of this guy's not really someone that you can can relate to. And then it just, the entire movie is kind of ruined from that point because it's like, you need to find a way into Trotter and he never gives it to you. And that's either the fault of the writer or writers uh for not writing a anything that was rather compelling about trotter or it's the fault of the director who saw, maybe saw the material in one way when he should have seen it a different way or it's a a combination of the actor and the writer and the director just completely missing the tone and that's for me mm-hmm. where you know if i look back at the r- reviews You know, it wasn't very well reviewed when it came out in 89. It's not a movie that we talk about a lot when we talk about 80s movies. You know, don't. I'm a host of an 80s movie podcast, and I don't know if I have ever considered talking about Let It Ride. (laughs) Uh, And I've talked about a lot of movies uh, from Paramount in the late 80s. So, you know, for me, it's just a movie that, that I probably would not have even considered watching again had you not asked me to participate on this episode. So um so I watched it again and it it was just for me I just I have a problem with the entire tone of the movie and the scene in the bar kind of exemplifies where Trotter is going through an existential crisis where he wants to give up or he thinks he wants to give up he thinks he wants to have a a better relationship with his wife but he is so easily led by. Why, why is he even going there in the first place? You know, it's wow. like didn't he tell his didn't he tell his wife at the start that he was done? That he was, you know, a person who's done with something doesn't go back and do it the very next day, and what? then but, do it again but, and again and again.
0: But Ed, you heard the magical chimes that have happened throughout the movie to let you know that something mystical something supernatural is potentially at play here and this is part of the the driving force is this just right. something that's uh, that's in his head that doesn't actually exist are, are we just hearing the sounds of the addiction that that pull him one way or another absolutely it is it's his addiction um whether the wind chimes i mean wind chimes don't mean anything i have
1: a wind chime 10 feet from where I'm sitting outside in my backyard.
0: That's true, and, but I don't, you don't hear them when you're walking around at, at key moments. Like when, when you hear a good horse racing tip that, that your weaselly friend has recorded in a cab. You yeah. hear the tip and then all of a sudden you hear these chimes and you start to feel a certain way. Like that's not just hearing wind chimes because they were in the window. That's, that's an entirely different thing. It's, it's, it's the way that addicts
1: process uh their addiction um i've been to the racetrack many times not because i love racing Um, my stepfather was a racing addict in the 70s uh the we regularly went to hollywood park or Santa anita and i learned how to read the racing form when i was eight years old i've known how to bet on horses as an adult i don't particularly like enjoy Horse racing, But when I find myself at a track like Santa Anita or Hollywood Park because of an industry event when I was a theater manager, mm-hmm. um, yes, I would partake in, in the racing because I'm already there. And I always came home a winner because I still, to this day, know how to read a racing form, even though it maybe have been 10 or 12 years since I last saw one where I, I understand the odds. I understand the mentality that goes into selecting the horse that you bet on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can honestly say I've never lost in Vegas or the one time I was in Monte Carlo. I went to uh, my, I went to f- Europe in 2017. My wife let me play a hundred dollars or a hundred euros at the casino, Monte Carlo. And 15 Wait. minutes later, I walked out with 250 euros. What did you play there? Uh, blackjack. Blackjack is my game. Okay, Just blackjack. Okay. Yeah. Blackjack's my game. And I went and I was at a, a 10 euro table and within fifteen minutes, I was up from hundred to two fifty, and I walked out because I don't have that addictive mentality. You don't hear any chimes I, is what you're telling me. You don't I don't hear, hear any chimes. Injuries. I don't hear. I don't yes. have a little guy on my shoulder say, "Let it ride, let it ride."
0: Yeah. yeah I don't, yeah, see, I don't this do is, that. Uh, this this I, explains a lot, actually.
1: Yeah. So, so for me, because I have a history with somebody in my family who did have a racing addiction, a problem and had a problem where and I saw this at a very young age where I don't have those qualms that Trotter has. And so that's why that's another reason why I cannot sympathize with him is because I see in Trotter, my stepdad Alan, who just was not a very good gambler. (laughs) <laughs> he, he won. He won occasionally, I think. Right. I think I know that they win occasionally. That's they occasionally. win occasionally. And so that's his problem is that he, mm-hmm. he he win. You know, he's been on a losing streak for so long. OK, I'm going to give it up after today. And then he gets on a winning streak. And instead of walking away, you know, the first time he wins, what? Seven hundred dollars seven hundred and 710, the time, ten. Yeah, seven hundred and ten. And then the second time he wins like twenty five hundred. Something like that. Yep walk away, walk away, because you're now up $3,200. And in 1989, $3,200 would have probably paid my rent for a year at the place I was, because I was living in, in outside of Santa Cruz in the 80s, not very expensive. I was sharing a house with a few people, but my rent was less than $300 a month. I think it was $275. And so that would have paid my rent for the entire year. <laughs> and for me, if I'd gotten lucky once, I probably would have walked away with the 70 and been happy. If I had done it a second time and got, and was up 3,200, I would have walked away. Absolutely. Because I am, I'm satisfied uh-huh. 3,200 3,200 right. is a lot of money 70. That's that's, you know, okay. Uh, that's, that's dinner with my girlfriend on a saturday night that's two tickets to see david bowie you know it's 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 not it's not as tangible as uh you know or seven hundred dollars yeah that's that's Mm -hmm. dinner and and bowie tickets and a t-shirt and and a couple of things that's nice that's a you know a couple months right but thirty two hundred dollars even today that's still a lot of money For a lot of people, 33 years later, I
0: would love to have thirty two hundred dollars. I would love to have thirty two hundred
1: dollars. That would help me a lot. No lie. I'm I'm in a position where I'm retired. I retired at 52 because I had saved enough in my you know, my wife also makes a lot of money as a lawyer, but I had saved enough where I could we could survive without me working. Well, I can still use the money. OK, my point (laughs) is that (laughs) I don't you know, I do the trivia. I do the trivia three two or three days a week, which is, like, less than $500 a month, you know, plus free food every night. But I could still use $3,200. That's six months of work on doing trivia games. That's not bad. That's not bad. I, okay. I could. Everybody could use $3,200. All
0: right. So, Ed, let me ask you about this, though. It, when it comes to this particular scene, mm-hmm. he's walking back into the bar right and he offers to buy everyone a beer and everyone is right. already soured on him simply because he has won and it, it seems like this is the cardinal sin among all of these other people in fact looney david johansson says you know i i know that i did the right thing which is to not bet on a sure thing which is some sort of bizarro loser mentality because i'm sure you ed somebody who does gamble as it turns out you I'm sure would primarily bet on sure things would you not
1: I know that there's no such thing as a sure thing well I know I I know that there is a very good chance Uh uh-huh so if I was in in Trotter's position yeah where I had a quote-unquote sure thing fall in my lap Mm mm-hmm yeah I I might have bet five ten dollars Mm -hmm. maybe because five or ten dollars is not that much to lose and then when coming in at 2840
0: on a ten dollar bet you know that's 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 a few hundred dollars that's a good bet let's look at it this way here are are some things that we do know here are some facts that we know from the movie if we're going to call them facts is that at the outset of the film Trotter and Looney both are aware of this situation at the same time. They both learn about this fixed race, this short thing, not a short thing, however you want to put it. They both go to the track. Trotter has saved $50 for this. He has taken, I don't I don't even know, $20 whatever he took off the other guy, Mickey Jacks, and he gives it to Looney. This is your this is your portion. This is your portion. Go bet it. Here it is. Looney does not bet this, though. Even though he has this information, this inside information, the money is not his own. It is money that Trotter is giving him. He opts to not bet on it. And in fact, he gets annoyed at the idea that Trotter did bet on it and won. What, what, what can we attribute this to? Why do um, you think this way? Or and not you, but why would Looney think this way?
1: I don't think we learn enough about Looney in the course of the movie, or at least by that point, to know why. Other than his when he says in that scene, you know, that he did a quote-unquote good thing by not betting on the sure thing. Right. So you know, for Looney, it could be a sense of pride, it could be a sense of honor, it could be a sense of um, if he took this and won, that it was done in in a wrong quote unquote wrong way, so he could be looking at it from a morality point of view.
0: Well, this is where, interesting because he, he's a not a, he does not come across as a particularly moral individual. Right, but it's, that's it's, but, the, but that's it, the
1: problem with the, the writing is that we don't know we never learn enough about him at to that point. So when we're in the bar and he says that he, you know, but the way the line comes across, it seems to be that he's taking a moral stance.
0: Yeah, like he's offended be- at the idea. He's he
1: offended at the idea. Yes. But even though he's the one who got the, you know, he's the one who got the, the, the information and yes. he's doing these things that are very immoral by you know, listening in on people in what's going on in the backseat of his cab. Yes. He does a lot of immoral things. And then for him to take a stand on this specific moment, mm-hmm. wh- I can't tell you if that's out of character for Looney or why he does that. Because Looney, to this point in the movie, is such an underwritten character. He is, you know, what do you know about Looney? He drives a cab. He listens in on his customers' conversations, mm-hmm. okay. even though there's a sign that says, the driver can't hear you. Even though, yes, driver can't hear know? you. So, And then he has this information and he doesn't do anything with it, even though he has a similar uh, addiction. But, that's, but that, again, that's a problem with the writing of the movie, where we don't know why Looney would make this stand the others, it could be jealousy that Trotter won all this money and they didn't. So, you know, he, that Trotter's in a place that they want to be in. So they are jealous. But Looney could have been there and chose not to. Mm-hmm. And takes offense at Trotter actually doing it. So it's not jealousy. But then what is it? And the writing is is so um all right it's it's so empty the character is, is such an empty vessel that we don't you know then we have to supply why we think looney is doing what he's doing and saying what he's saying because we don't know anything about him truly other than being a cab driver who listen, who does some bad things listening in on what people say in the back of his cab so this, that's why I said that's why I have a lot of problems with the movie, is that Trotter's not likable and a lot of the characters are so underdeveloped that you don't know why they do what they do. And, and that's ultimately why
0: I've never really revisited the movie after 33 years until this week. Is it quite possibly that he, just like everyone else, is just unhappy that Trotter has won? I mean, because even when when Trotter goes to the Jockey Club and he's now elevated with all of the, you know, highbrow Players. people, right? Exactly. When when he wins there, those people aren't happy with him either. Those people are like seemingly annoyed that mm-hmm. he has won. He ends right. up getting booted out of there. You know, Alan right. Garfield in his wonderful uh, pink blazer, which I need to get me one of those. <laughs> it's like how come you didn't share your tip with me you know he's all of a sudden he's he's cold to him so (laughs) is this just sort of a is this sort of a thing with with gamblers where you know are we just not happy when our friends do well i'm hard to say because alan didn't have a lot
1: of friends so when i was at the track with him i was literally the only person with him and we were sitting yeah, you know, we wouldn't be sitting with the, the people against the, the rail and we wouldn't be sitting in the in the club. We'd kind of be in that middle ground where the losers are. OK. Where the, and so because, you know, and so I, I for me, if I was a high roller yes. and then some schlub from yes. down at the rail is all of a sudden in mm-hmm. my space. Yes. And winning when I'm not. I could understand the anger because uh, wealthy people don't like it when poor people start to come into their spaces, you know, because no no longer has that air of exclusivity that they kind of crave. That's why they live in gated communities and and have, you know, massive security systems and guard dogs is because they don't want to be bothered by the plebeians. And now here, all of a sudden, Trotter is having a hot streak. And from the way that he dresses and the way that he acts, you Mm -hmm. can tell he's not one of them. And now he's in their space, and he's beating them at their game. Yeah, I can absolutely see why Alan Garfield's (laughs) character would be pissed about that.
0: But his friends. Yes, his friends. His friends in the bar, right? His friends in the bar. They're all sitting there. Now, in, in a previous scene, when Trotter goes into the bar, everybody's pretty jovial. Everybody's tossing out who they think is going to win the first race. You know, there's right. a lot of back and forth. But then he walks in this time, and everybody is silent. Nobody seems to want to look at him. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I heard you won the long shot. There's yeah. this, uh, res- again, just resentment at the idea that he had won. All right, and then you have before he places the first bet, you have the guy with
1: the open Hawaiian shirt and the chains. Oh yes, yes. Bugging Trotter.
0: Yes. Cheeseburger. Thank you.
1: And you know he's bugging Trotter, and Trotter kind of <laughs> yes. throws out the answer. He does. And then the guy kind of mocks him because it's Trotter, and Trotter is always wrong. So why would you ask Trotter for a tip if you're yeah. not going to listen to Trotter yeah. because you think Trotter's a joke? Okay. And then in the next race he he gets the info from yes at this time and he wins
0: yes and, he, and know, so, that's funny he is the one character who you would like that's how you should act you should be like oh my god you got this great tip i need to know what what's going on in your head today what can you tell me this time
1: yeah so but that but the movie for me if it was played if it was played as a dramatic comedy that was mostly a drama about gambling addictions that had moments of comedy in it right i think it would have been a much better movie even with most of the same actors because most of the actors you know from alan garfield and um I think Jennifer Tilly's in there. Sure. Uh, You've got Mary Warnov, a cult favorite uh, from Eating Raoul*, which wonderfully splits the absurd comedy and moments of drama. Uh, And she's fantastic in it as she is in most movies. But I think even if you have the same cast and the same director and the same script, Mm -hmm. but you play it as a drama about gambling addiction, that has comedic moments because life has comedic moments, even when it's very serious, I think it would have been a much better movie. The, the, I, as presented was, was presented incorrectly for what was written, but I don't know enough about the movie's history, um, whether it was originally written as a, a drama about gambling addiction that once <laughs> you was get, no. I, like I said, I don't know the history it of not. it enough, okay. but for me, I think I would have thought it was a much better movie if it played it straight with the moments of comedy that come out of life out of strange things that happen in life. You know, his reactions to hitting the big one and then hitting it again and then keeping going. I just think the overall tone of the movie is incorrect for the material. But then again, I also have that history of living I, living with a gambling addict and knowing what they go through or at least what this one went through. Yeah, yeah. Where, to me, the tone
0: was always wrong for me. Did you see, as a child, when you would go to the track, did you see any characters like we see in this movie?
1: I'd say this movie is a very small portion of what I saw. Okay. That, obviously, I couldn't go into the bars because I was a preteen, but in the stands, in the lines of placing the bets, absolutely these characters existed. You have, you know, the slimy little guy who thinks he's hot stuff with the slick back hair and the jacket that's two (laughs) sizes too big to him. Uh, You have, you know, the guys in Hawaiian shirts and the gold chains who are just looking. Yeah, absolutely these characters existed and it's one of the many things i don't miss about going to the track (laughs) uh for me for me the track has always felt like uh the place where people who don't have anything better to do with their lives go to kind of just write out their life um i don't have a i don't have a happy uh memory of of the racetrack as we will just leave it at that wow for me For me, it's just the tone is all wrong.
0: I, I, I almost feel sorry that I had you end oh, up you watching shouldn't. this movie. Oh, and, and... oh you shouldn't. I, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to yeah. recognize
1: things without letting it bother me. All right. um, like, like my stepdad, I haven't seen Alan since, I don't know, 80 or 81. And I have only been to a racetrack once in the last 15, 20 years. so so for me it doesn't bring up it doesn't bring up any PTSD, it doesn't bring up painful memories. It's just it brings up memories of things that that happened that no longer affect me and they make no attempt to get out of it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Jockey Club. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dan Delgado. My guest today was Edward A. Havens III. You can look for Ed's podcast, the 80s movie podcast, wherever you got this podcast from. There will be a link to it in the show notes. Our theme music is from Epidemic Sound. Our cover art is by Sean Labriek. If you enjoyed this episode, and I certainly hope that you did, then you can help the show out by buying me a coffee. Yes, it's really an actual thing. There's a link to it in the show notes on how to do it. Now, if you say, Dan, I don't want to buy you a coffee. I'm saving up all of my money so I can bet on the four horse. Well, this is something that I understand. You can still support the show by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you may be listening to this. If you want, you can contact me through email. It's dan at moviemaker.com. I'm on Twitter at underscore Dan underscore Delgado. Or even better, I'm on the Repod app, which is not only a great way to listen to podcasts, but to interact with podcast hosts like me. Find it in your app store. Come on by and say hello. This has been Dan Delgado for the Jockey Club. And remember, sometimes you could be walking around lucky I had not know it